you know, we've been in this healthy relationships topic the, the past few weeks. And today, uh, we're going to talk about healthy discipleship. And that might not sound like an exciting word, discipleship. It might even be a little bit intimidating. But I just wanted to say, when you think about relationships in your life, discipleship relationship should be a normal part of your life. Every season in your life, discipleship relationship should be happening in your life. Just say, as you think, okay, I want friendships. I want family relationships. Got my relationship with my wife, with my kids, uh, with my roommates, whoever it is. Also, discipleship relationships should be normal in your life. And uh, we really want to be a church where discipleship is prevalent, where we're all experiencing discipleship. And, you know, as Christians, we have been given a very clear commission from Jesus. Let's just start right at the basic commission Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So Jesus commanded us, hey, make disciples. Like discipleship should be part of your life, Christian. Discipleship should be part of your life. Hey, baptize people. Baptizing people should be part of your life. Hey, teach people what I've taught you. Teaching should be part of your life. This is a picture of my family here uh, with my wife and my three kids. And uh, I'm not putting that up for the oohs and ahs, but I appreciate that, Hudson. Um, I just wanted to say my family has a mission. I want to raise a family that is on mission. Jesus has commissioned my family to make disciples, to baptize people, and to teach people everything Jesus has taught us. And as I raise my kids, I'm going to be asking them those questions. I'm not just going to say, hey, did you finish your homework? I'm going to say, hey, Naomi, hey, Isaac, hey, Justice, are you making disciples? Are you baptizing people? Are you teaching others what Jesus has taught you? Why? Because that's your central mission in your life. That is who we are as a family. That's who I need to continually ask myself, am I discipling? Am I baptizing? Am I teaching? And that is for all of us. And I want to say, let's make that our primary mission in our lives is to fulfill the commission of Jesus. My family does not exist to live a comfortable life. My family doesn't exist just to survive and to think about ourselves. Our family exists for a greater purpose. Our family exists to serve Jesus and his mission. Amen? And so we're living for that big purpose, that big mission. So it's kind of haunted me and bugged me and frustrated me over the years asking the question, why isn't the church, and when I say the church, I just mean the church globally. Why isn't church, why aren't more Christians active in discipleship? And 20 years ago, when I first started asking that question, like, man, why aren't more Christians actively discipling other people? My first thought was, oh, they must not have the resources they need to do it, right? So I'm like, it's a resource problem. We need to come up with a curriculum. So we made a five, a five teaching curriculum to hand out to our church at the time. And we said, all right, guys, now you can disciple people because you have a curriculum. And they took those five lessons in hand and Nobody discipled anybody. No, I'm exaggerating. But that was not the answer to the problem. It wasn't a resource problem. And what I've come to realize is 
Christians, when we are not actively discipling others or pouring out our lives to other people, it's not a resource problem. It's actually an identity problem. You actually have an identity crisis that you're going through if you're not pouring out your life to other people. You actually don't realize who you are. You don't realize what you have and who you are in Christ. Because in Christ, you are a blessing to other people. Say it with me, I am a blessing. I don't know what you believe about yourself or how you think about yourself, but you are a blessing, whether you feel like it or not. And we are a part of a promise God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse two. God spoke to Abraham and said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this covenant or this promise that God gave to Abraham, of course, is first and foremost for the Jewish people. And that's a promise that is true for them today. But it's also for every person who is in Christ, this promise is for you too. It says in Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. So if you are in Christ today, this is true about you. God says, I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And so we have to wrestle with that promise. And when I think about myself, I honestly don't feel like much of a blessing most of the time because I'm super dysfunctional. And I don't know if you can relate, but I've got like problems and I'm not super well put together all the time. I actually have areas in my life that are not awesome and that are in crisis and problems over here. And I haven't really figured that out in my life yet. How can I be a blessing? And I feel that. I feel that tension. You feel that tension. But we have to deal with this tension that God actually says, no, actually, you are a blessing. You are, like, who you are in Christ, you are a blessing to the people around you. And I don't know how much you get it, but this would totally change the way you live your life. If you walk into a room and you think, I'm a blessing, that's different. If you walk into a room and think, these people are blessed that I'm here, that's different. When I, my second year of being a Christian, I, I came to Christ my freshman year of college, my second year of being a Christian, I started getting this. And I started realizing what I had. I was like, whoa, I have Christ. And all that God's done is in me. And so I would literally meet people and you gotta hear my heart when I tell you this story. I would literally meet guys. I'd be like, hey man, what's up? Uh, and I'd be like, good to meet you. God loves you so much. I actually know that God loves you. Do you know how I know? Because you met me. God put me in your life. That is proof God loves you. And I wasn't, I was 
in a very, that was a sincere statement I would make to people, not out of a, I'm the man, but do you realize how much God loves you that I'm here right now? Because I have Christ in me and you get to have that now. You get to be a part of my life. Aren't you excited about that? And uh, it was such a a sincere uh, belief when people wouldn't want to maybe hang out with me or like, I'd be like, hey, you want to meet up? Let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about Jesus. If somebody didn't want to do that, I just think, man, that guy's an idiot. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, people are going to crawl over each other to get to me because I have Christ in my life. I don't know how you think about yourself. I don't know how you view yourself. But it certainly was not because I had my life put together that I thought about myself that way. It was because I, had, I was getting a revelation of who I was in Christ and what I have in my life. When you start getting that, you will start believing, oh, I'm a blessing. The fact this person's sitting next to me right now, they are so blessed. Wow. You don't need to get more mature to become a blessing. You don't need to get out of debt before you're a blessing. You don't need to sort out your emotional state to be a blessing. If you are in Christ, you are a blessing now, right now. Your life's not sorted out. Neither is mine, neither is Steph's, neither is Hudson's, neither is my wife's, Hannah's. I mean, not to call. You're right. You're, it's like 99% sorted out, babes. None of our lives are sorted out. Get over it. Wrestle with the tension. Believe I'm a blessing. I have Christ in me. Now listen, God's strategy to transform people's lives when they come to this church is not, oh, oh, they're checking out the church. Great. I really hope they get into the school of transformation or they go to life group. No. Do you know God's strategy to bring transformation to that person's life is you? You are the church. You are, you have Christ in you. That person needs you. God's primary strategy to bring revival to people's lives is you, not a church program. It's not an event. It's not this service. It's good. That's good. God will transform lives that way. But God's primary strategy on the earth is you discipling other people. I'm telling you, this is a a different way to live. It's a different way to, to raise your family. It's a different way to live your life every day. Let's look at this. This is the scripture we're going to focus on, 2 Corinthians 9:11. This promise is for you. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I don't know how you view this scripture but This scripture to me is actually a great definition of what discipleship is. God says this to you, you will be enriched in every way. God's building up your life in every way so that you can be generous with others on every occasion. That is the definition of discipleship is letting somebody into your life and pouring out what you have into their life. That's it. And when, when, you know, when I first read this scripture, of course, I'm thinking, this is awesome because God just said I'm going to get rich. And of course, we think rich, right? We think dollar, these are all $1 bills, and there's a $5 bill, so don't be too impressed. But we think, okay, awesome, God's enriching me. So that means when I'm 
you know, see, have a lot of finances and abundance, then I can be generous with other people. Uh, but I want to illustrate this. Uh, who, who would like to be discipled right now? Anybody? Come on up, sir. See, he, he, sees, the, he, he sees how good this is going to be in this moment. So, all right. So here we go. What's your name, sir? James. Wow. Look at him. Exemplary. So as I'm being made rich, this is an obvious, you know, very practical illustration. As God gives me things, I might be able to say, hey, maybe I should be generous and give to someone else. Congratulations. You just got discipled, bro. Now, stay here because there's more. There's more. I saw that. So God is make, making me rich. Maybe finance, listen, finances go up and down. Hey, maybe you're not rich in finances. Could I have those, please? But maybe God's making you rich in candy. You haven't thought about that, have you? So, you know, the finances may be a little low this month, but man, I have an abundance of Tootsie Roll candies. So I might just pull out of that abundance and be generous on this occasion and say, hey, here's some Tootsie Rolls for you. And look at his life being transformed. Now I may, because I think the scripture says you'll be enriched in every way, which means a bunch of different, so maybe not only Tootsie Roll candies, but chocolate as well. And as you look in your chocolate bag, you might go, oh, actually, I don't have, I only have three chocolate. But I'm supposed to be generous on every occasion anyway. It's a little melted as well. But I'm going to give it to him. And I'm going to be generous in all of the different ways God's making me rich, whether it's candy, chocolate, money. I'm going to be generous on every occasion and pour it out into somebody's life. Thank you. You did great. Keep it. Keep it, man. Take your wife out for a great, great meal with that dollar. Taco Bell. So we have many areas of our life that are being enriched by God. God is enriching you. And one, one way to illustrate how God's making you rich is Galatians 5.22. This isn't just about money. God's making you rich in so many ways. God has given you his Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this fruit's going to come off your life because the Holy Spirit's in you. And if you watch a tree grow up, it's being enriched, enriched, and then it starts bearing all this fruit, right? So the Holy Spirit's planted in you from the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have all of these different areas of your life that are being enriched and filled up, and you can be generous with all of these different areas of your life. The first it says is you are being enriched in love. I really think we forget how rich we are in love. Because when you're, when you're in church for a little while, you don't realize the incredible friendships, relationships, family you're part of. You're kinda, you kind of get used to it. It just kind of becomes normal. Oh, people are loving. They're not perfect. They don't always show they care very much, but they're doing their best. They do care at least a little bit about me. And, you know, these friendships are different than the world's friendships. And we forget that in our families, oh, we might actually be very rich in love and not aware of it. 
You know, I, was, I heard a story recently about one of our life groups who, uh, somebody in the life group was in a time of need. And so that life group, unbeknownst to that person, bought a car for them. Bought a car for them. Now, this richness of love is so normal to me that when I heard that story, I was like, cool. And I kind of moved on. Started realizing as I've shared that story with different people, like, that's a little bit shocking and not normal. And I guarantee you, if you went and told your coworkers at work or whatever about that, they would kind of think that's not normal. That people would gather around one of our coworkers and purchase them a car in their time of need. This is not normal. We don't realize how rich we are in love. We are surrounded with the love of God, these relationships, friendships, family that the world doesn't have. Uh, my, first, uh, my first time having this revelation, and I've told this story a lot of times. My wife doesn't like this story, but I'll tell it with kindness. Uh, you know, we were really trying to build our family in a way where we would disciple people and help them in Christ. And there was, you know, many years ago, there was a couple college students I met who were visiting the church. And, you know, his name was George. And I was like, hey, George, why don't you come over to our house uh, for dinner and we'll watch a movie and stuff and hang out. And so he and his roommate were coming over and I was, I was excited. Like I was going to pick him up. I was like, I'm going to rock this guy's life. Like this is going to be awesome. We're going to just preach to him and like transform their life. They're going to get, you know, rocked by God. And so really excited about a great night. Picked him up. We came over. Hannah made some dinner, and it was okay. Some spaghetti, some bread. I was like kind of looking for like chicken curry or like next level meal though, you know? And it was just an okay meal. <laughs> this is literally what I'm thinking while the night's going on. I was like, man, I wanted to rock these guys. We're getting them spaghetti. And then we try to watch this movie. And do you ever just have like a totally dud night? It was like the movie wasn't that good. It was kind of weird. And then my kids were like a little noisy and, you know, whatever. And I was like, that wasn't that fun. And then, you know, George and his roommate, they kind of hang out for a little bit longer. We go get in our car to take him home. And I'm, I'm like literally just about to turn around to George's in the backseat. And I was, like, was going to say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. Let's do it again sometime. It'll be better. Just about to say that to him. George leans forward from the backseat and he's like, Jason, can we please do this every week? And, and I was like, what do you mean, man? He's like, that is the best meal I've had in six months. And then he's, and then, <laughs> and then he said, and Jason, I've actually never seen a wife and a husband treat each other nicely. And I've never seen a dad interact with his kids the way you do. And he's like, I just want to be around that more. Can I please come over every week? <laughs> and it was then I realized this. I was like, man, I just don't understand how rich I am and how simple discipleship is. I don't need a 10-part curriculum to walk this guy through. I just need him to come into my life a little bit. If somebody gets around me enough, their life will get transformed. Not because I'm awesome. And not because my life's put together, because it's not. And our family has plenty of problems. But it's just because God is in our house. God's in my life. 
Hang out with me. Your life will change. I want you to say that about yourself. You need to hang out with me because your life will get transformed. I hung out with a pastor friend of mine the other day here in the city, and he was like, hey, Jason, this might sound weird, but our church kind of has a church crush on you guys. <laughs> I, was like, what? I was like, what does that mean? He's like, there's just something about you guys, man. Like, everyone we meet from your church, just like, there's so much love and, like, faith, and it's just awesome. Like, we just want to be like you guys. And, like, he's never been to the church. He's never been to a, uh, an event. He's just interacted with us and you, and there's just something on you. You're rich in Christ. The next thing it says, you are rich in joy. Rich in joy. I've been talking to our young adults team and our college team about our, our services for college and young adults. Like, hey, I want one of the main things we lean into to be, I want a spirit of joy on our services. Because the world has a spirit of what? Heaviness and despair. I want some, like, we could, we could do services that are all deep and contemplative and heavy and like, oh, I repent. And that's good stuff. And there's a place, there's a place for all the deep things of God. But man, if there's one thing that sets us apart as Christians right now, it's the spirit of joy, a spirit of freedom, a spirit that actually, don't you wonder, what is it about worship music that just like, you're like, whoa, I'm getting taken somewhere. It's that spirit of joy that's on you, on your family, on your home, on your roommates, on your life. Let's bring that spirit of joy and share it with people. It says you're being made rich in peace. You have the peace of God on your life. I was thinking again, it, it crosses my mind pretty often about how many problems I have and how difficult life is. I don't know if any of you struggle with that thought, but I'm like, man, life is so hard. And then I'm like, what would it be like going through life without Jesus? That would be awful. And I want to call out to you, if you don't have, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you got to get in Jesus because you got to give your life to him because it's the only way to have peace during the storm and torment of life in this world. Jesus brings peace. It says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So those of us who are in Christ, we, we forget, oh, I'm so rich. I have peace in my life. There's a steadiness to my life that the world can't have because they don't have Christ. I actually had a family member, an extended family member, who explicitly asked me this question. They said, Jason, I don't know what it is about your family, but why, she said, why is your family so steady through life? And when I look at mine and, and extent, like why is everyone else like this? And I was able to share it's because we built our life on the rock of Jesus. Like my family's built on Jesus, the rock, so when storms and wind come, it doesn't knock down our house. We can stay, stay sturdy, but when you build your life on anything but Jesus in the sand, when stuff happens like it's gonna to all of us, it just falls down and collapses, and then you're, in, you're, you're all over the board. I'm not saying our lives don't go up and down, but I'm saying there's a steadiness and a peace and a 
sturdiness that can only come from building your life on Jesus. You are rich in that. It says you're going to be rich in forbearance, which means patience. And uh, I was thinking about how judgmental the world is. The world judges immediately and demands perfection immediately. And unless you meet the perfection, you're condemned. In the church, in your life, when somebody comes into your life, you have patience for their situation. They don't need their life sorted out all the way. They just receive the the forbearance, the patience of God, the kindness of God that says, hey, let's just progress. You don't have to be perfect right now. Like, let's work and take steps in healing and moving forward in God. And God has patience for us. So we learn this from God because how many of you know God could just, and maybe feels like God should just shut down the world right now because it's just so messed up. But out of God's love and patience and forbearance for people, he's patient and waits and wants more to be saved. So we live in that same richness of forbearance. A couple more. It says you're going to be made rich in kindness. And when you look at the root of the word kindness, it actually is talking about useful it's, it's usefully meeting needs in people's lives. So this is like meeting practical needs. If you think about when you feel kindness, for me, food. Give me some food and I see the kindness of God. I've, I actually think it's a good argument for God's existence. If you're, if you're ever talking to somebody that's an alien, just say, have you ever eaten food? Because that proves God exists. Have you eaten a tri-tip? Take one bite and tell me God doesn't exist. Listen, the first time I experienced the kindness of God in discipleship, uh, I was in college, really having a hard time as I was trying to follow Jesus, one foot in the world, one foot in God. It was a tough year. But a guy that was in his 30s from church came up to me and he said, hey, Jason, let me take you to lunch. Took me out to lunch, bought me a tri-tip sandwich. So that's the first key. Buy food for somebody. But then he also, he looked at me and said, uh, hey, I've been praying for you. That was the first time I'd ever in my life had a man outside of, you know, my family or whatever that said, I'm praying for you. He pulled out his Bible and said, I have a scripture I wanted to share with you. Here's some vision for your life. Hey, I want to, if you want to, let's keep hanging out. I want to just help you grow in Jesus. I was all over that. That was like the kindness of God coming into my life. And I was experiencing discipleship from somebody buying a sandwich for me and just saying, I'm praying for you. It changed my life. And we, we are rich. We are so rich with the kindness of God. So our time, our talent, our treasure, we can give. Give people your time. Give somebody your talents, your skills. Go serve somebody with those things. Your treasure, give, give financially. Be generous with people because God's making you rich. You know, the opposite of kindness is stinginess. I was in uh, South Africa once with a pastor there, and he said one of the greatest phrases that just stuck in my head forever. He said, do you want to break the spirit of stinginess off your life? Write a check. That's, (laughs) he's just like, you want to be a generous person? The only way you can break that spirit of like, I'm just hoarding everything for myself to I'm being generous with somebody is you just got to give. You have to give to somebody. You have to, you have to do it. It's the action that will break 
that stinginess and hoardiness off your life? How much should we give? C.S. Lewis said, the only safe rule is to give more than you can spare. So not just the leftovers, but give more than what you can spare. Proverbs 11, 24 says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so, hey, we are called Christians to be enriched and to be generous. The next, it says that we're going to be made rich in goodness. Uh, a couple days ago, our AC broke in our house, and uh, the AC guy came over to fix the air conditioning. And listen, I'm going to be vulnerable with you all. When somebody comes over to my house to do a job, I'm kind of like, just do your job and get it done. Finish the job. You're here. We're not here to talk and to chat and be nice to you. Like, just, you're here to fix the air conditioning. But, see, this is why it's good to be around. This is, this is why it's good to have a Christian household. Because areas of weakness of yourself can be, can be uh, fixed by the people around. So my wife, my mom's in our house right now. They're just talking this guy's ear off, like, being the love. Like, my wife's like, do you want some salmon? <laughs> I'm hearing this. I'm like, what are you doing? He's fixing the air conditioning. Don't offer him salmon. Do you need food to take home? Like, I can make, we're making some, for, do you want some salmon and rice? We'll package it up. My mom's, my mom's saying, do you want a fruit bowl? <laughs> so, the goodness, the goodness of God, like the richness and generosity of God comes off of you. And this guy like did not want to leave. He's like, trying to just keep talking. He's, you can tell he doesn't want to leave. And I'm like, why doesn't he want to leave? Because he's experiencing the spirit of God and the goodness of God. And he's getting salmon and fruit bowls and, you know, walking out with more than he came in with. Uh, and it was the same for our plumber, the, this plumber, because we needed a, a fix the other day. And he's in there. I'm like, just looking for him to do his work. And my mom's just, tell me about your kids. Tell me about, he's showing pictures of his kids. They're praying for his kids. And do you want fruit? Do you want a fruit bowl? <laughs> These fruit bowls are good, though, I have to admit. The goodness of God on your life. You don't know how rich you are. You don't. You can transform lives just by being generous with what you have in Jesus. It says you're going to be rich in faithfulness. Loyal, steadfast, faith. You don't even know how different that is. When somebody talks to you who doesn't know Jesus, who has just been in Jesus a little time, when you have that substantial faith, when you speak into their life and speak a word of faith to them, that is wild stuff right there. Because you don't sound the same as the world. Faith transforms lives. It brings miracles into people's lives. And I'm reminded of a time my wife was in a doctor's office sitting next to a person that was there to get tested for cancer. And she spoke to her out of faith and said, God can heal you of that cancer. How many, like how mind-blowing is that? And she prayed with her, became a, a disciple in Anna's life and is still part of a church, one of the leaders at a church now, from a result of bringing that faith into that woman's life. It's awesome. But I often challenge guys I'm discipling, hey, 
before you ever leave a church service, go find one person and just speak some faith into them. Like, and listen to them and just say, if it's as much as, hey, God loves you so much, uh, or maybe God will give you a little word to share with them or a scripture, or maybe you just pray for them for five seconds. That will rock people's lives. Remember, you're the answer to life transformation in people, not church programs. You're the answer. Gentleness, self-control is the last one it talks about. Self-control. Do you know that living a disciplined life of purity and righteousness is awesome? And I've been talking, and I'm pleading with you. I'm going to talk to the guys for just a second. I have been talking to so many young college-age men who have seen zero examples in their life of purity and righteousness lived out by a man. And we have to, we are so rich in this. We live lives of purity and self-discipline, prayer, fasting, seeking God in the word, saying no to sin. And I need you. We need you. The world needs you. Those guys need you guys to be generous with your life because they need models. They need somebody to look at and go, yeah, he did it. I can do that too. And that right now they look around and they're like, nobody lives pure lives. Nobody lives in discipline. They just do whatever they want. But our church, you are rich in this. You're rich in, in self-control, righteousness, purity. And we need to become models to other people. But even if we're conquering that personally, like, oh, man, I'm killing it, man. Doing so good in Jesus privately. If I don't share that and I'm not generous with that, nobody knows. Nobody can be influenced. Nobody can see it. And we're called to disciple others, to teach them and to let them in. So, so say it with me. I am rich. There's a song that says, let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. You got you to gotta believe it. You, gotta, you have an identity to grab a hold of. Uh, I want to use this little illustration for you. This is a poster that's in our house. Uh, if you don't know this guy, this is, it's, it's going to be hard for you to see, but it's all right. That's Steph Curry. You, you know, all right, more, more applaud than the last service for Steph Curry. Great basketball player. Uh, you know, Amazing three-point shooter, transformed the NBA, won, won the championship a couple times. You know, this poster on the left, it lists some of his accomplishments now. It says NBA champion, two-time NBA MVP, first-ever unanimous MVP, four-time NBA all-star, NBA record holder. Next to it, it has what college scouts wrote about him in college. And these are crossed out. The college scouts wrote, not a true point guard. Athleticism and explosiveness below standard. Needs to improve as a ball handler. Relies too heavily on outside shot. Will have limited success on the next level. And I just bring this up to say, listen, I don't know what you believe about yourself. I don't know what's been spoken to you. I don't know what you speak to yourself. I don't know what you look like from the outside. It's probably not that impressive because none of us are that impressive from the outside. As the world looks at us and says, eh, you know, not a lot to give, not rich. God has something different to say about you. God says you are rich. You actually have more to offer than anyone will ever tell you. You have more riches that you can pour out than anyone will ever tell you. You need to listen to God's voice and say, I am rich. I am being made rich in every way. So that, what? 
so that I can be generous. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says again, you'll be enriched so that you can be generous. When? Say it again with some happiness. On every, which is just so hard and so good at the same time. Anytime you ask yourself, do I have enough to be generous right now? The answer is, I do. Do I have enough? Do I have enough to be generous with my time with some love for this person right now? I do. God's making me rich so I can be generous on every occasion. Can I be generous right now in this giving moment to help this person in need, to disciple this person? Yes, you can. I was reminded, uh, I was reminded of the parable of the sower. Do you know that story Jesus tells where the sower has seed in his hands and he's throwing seed, right? Throwing seed. Tell me the, there's four different things that the seed lands on. Just shout it out. What are some of the things the seed lands on? The good soil. Some of it lands on the rocks. Some lands in the weeds. Some lands on the road, right? The hard ground. And when I read that, I'm kind of like, hey, sower, why don't you just throw the seed on the good soil? <laughs> Like, why are you wasting all the seed over there? <laughs> like, just throw it on the good, target the good soil. And the, one of the great things from that point is that God's heart and the way Jesus is alive in you is to not just target, oh, this guy's obviously just ready. This is an obvious, no. God's saying you need to be generous on it. Like, scatter the seed, the riches that you have on everyone. Like, the hard and impossible ones, the thorny, weedy ones, you know, the rocky stuff. You're like, hey, even if I, even if I do this, it probably won't last. Whatever, the so God's heart is to pour the seed in and the good soil. We are called to be generous. This is discipleship. It's so simple. It's awesome. So I know you're asking the question, what could I learn from a farmer? Three things you can learn from a farmer as we wrap up. Number one, farmers don't expect a harvest without planting seeds. I know, and I've heard you, point at some of you, I've heard you praying for revival. We always pray, God, bring revival, transform our city, transform lives. A farmer does not just sit back and pray, God, bring a harvest. A farmer says, God, bring a harvest but I'm going to get out there and plant the seeds so that you can make it grow. If we want to see revival hit our city and your life and your campus, your school, your families, your neighborhood, we have to be generous with ourselves and plant the seeds. Now, don't have time. Number two, farmers don't eat the seed they should be planting. <laughs> Sounds silly, but listen, God's giving you, I know candy's not the perfect illustration, God's giving you these riches in your life. And most American families, most American individuals will go inward. And it's so tempting as you grow older. I mean, I mean, from the time you're 18, growing older, to go inward, inward, inward with your life. We cannot live that way and just eat it for ourselves. God's giving me riches. I'm going to consume it myself. We have to be generous and outward with the riches God's given us. Number three, 
Farmers plant their seeds with faith that it will turn into a harvest. I don't care how smart the farmer is. They don't know how all that works and how God makes that seed grow up and the harvest come. And we are the same. We need to be the ones planting the seeds. Maybe you're the one watering it. But as scripture says, God's the one that makes it grow. And at just the right time, we will reap a harvest. And we'll see lives transformed and revival all around us. Uh, but we have to plant those seeds in faith. So uh, as the band comes up, the results you will have in your life from this is not just to enrich others, but it will enrich yourself. Dave Ramsey said, not only does giving your money or other resources generate good in the lives of others, it also generates contentment in your own heart. And Philemon says in the Bible, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Let me just end with that thought that, do you know that as I share with you today, I'm actually getting more out of it than you are? And I walk out of here like having a fuller understanding of what I have in Christ and how rich I am in God. It's because whenever you, whenever I meet with guys for discipleship or to minister to them, I always walk away like 10 times happier and more full than when I started that because I'm pouring out, but something happens, man. When, when you're pouring out, God just enriches you even more and gives you more abundance so that you can pour out more. It's awesome. So the bottom line, y'all, is, hey, are you going to be a hoarder of God's riches or will you be generous and have discipleship happening all around you and giving away what God puts in your life? If we do that, we will see an incredible transformation all around us. Let's stand up together.